Hello and welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 29 and today I want to talk about what some of you will find the icky subject of pornography and why we need to have that conversation with our children now. A study by the Children's Commission in the UK has revealed over half of children will be exposed to online pornography before they leave primary school. For those who are listening globally, not in the UK, primary school in the United Kingdom is children under the age of 11. And what the commission also revealed was that some children as young as seven are being exposed to it unwittingly. Now, whilst this data is from a UK study, the exposure is online and so it's likely to have similar trends globally. So as parents we have to act and we have to act now. So this podcast episode is really my urge to you as parents to talk to your children now not only about pornography but about consent and their bodies and what I'd like to do is share with you my four top tips for tackling this subject and I want you to approach this very much from an open mind. Let me just give you a sort of a bit of background to this. What essentially is happening when it, we're talking about pornography is that our children are on devices and it's not this podcast episode is not an anti-device but I do think as parents we need to wake up to the fact that our children are being exposed to things online not because they are actively searching it while some are quite often their first experiences with pornography comes accidentally they happen to stumble on it and quite often it comes from an innocent watching a video which they then click on another link to another video and then another link and then another link and then they're necessarily exposed to it and what's really key is whatever age you think you need to be having a conversation with your children you need to think younger And my personal view is that we need to be thinking about having these conversations with our children from a very, very young age. And when we're talking quite explicitly about pornography, it should be as young as seven years and above. But it's all interlinked with this notion about talking about their bodies, but also about consent. So my top tip number one is accept that our children will see online pornography. Now, whilst we might like to think the best thing we can do for our children is shield them completely from seeing pornography in the first place, but we know from the research that is carried out by the Children's Commission and from other studies, it doesn't matter how hard we try as parents, almost all children will be exposed to explicit sexual images before they reach their late teens. And more often than not, they will first stumble across this accidentally. So it's important we have the conversations early to prevent our children being exposed accidentally to something that they're unable to process or be able to understand. And you imagine that element of shame that a child can so often feel, and I've had conversations with parents about this, the amount of shame that they feel when that their children will say afterwards that they were exposed to this material and they will feel ashamed that they've seen it, they will feel embarrassed and if the children get a pleasurable 
response physiologically, then that creates an element of, of shame as well. Particularly, and we'll come on to this later on, particularly where we haven't had those conversations with our children about their bodies. So what we don't want is a child to see pornographic images and internalise that, internalise the guilt and the shame that they've seen and feel that shame, feel ashamed or at the other extreme, believe that it is ordinary behaviour and then try to mimic some of it because we've not had that conversation. So we must not bury our head in the sand. We must work on the assumption that they will see it and we need to talk to them about it around my view is around the age of seven. Because if we have that assumption, if we have that conversation in advance, we educate, we equip our children, we allow them to feel prepared for something that they're exposed to. And what's also really important is that the information that they get is accurate information from the source, from us, rather than what they might see online or what they might get from their friends, which again may also be ill-informed. So we need to accept that they will see it regardless of how innocent we feel our children are, how limited exposure they have to digital devices and online space. They are likely to stumble on it and it is much better that we have had that conversation with them in advance rather than leaving it so that they are then exposed to it. So now obviously for those of you who've got children over seven, they may well have already been exposed to it. So we will tackle this. But if, you have, if you're listening to this and you have a child who, has, who is under seven, you need to start preparing yourself for that. So my top tip number two is we need to let go of our own hang-ups. And this is such a crucial, such a crucial part, particularly when we're talking about having conversations with our children, just generally, not only about pornography, but sex our, and our bodies is that we need to make sure we set aside our own feelings of shame, guilt or embarrassment when it comes to speaking to our children about pornography and sex. Children have no shame around these subjects. The shame comes from our shame, which we then project on our children when we have those discussions with them. So if you've discovered that your child has seen pornography, It's common to feel angry, maybe disappointed, maybe upset, maybe questioning your parenting or maybe being really angry and frustrated that your child has done that. But remember that your child is unlikely to have deliberately sought this out. So when you're having the conversations, if you've discovered that your child has seen it, so you've not managed to have that conversation or you're only just considering it now that you've heard me talking about it, avoid expressing any anger or frustration that you might have, which is, and I say this with love, it's much more about how you feel rather than necessarily what your child has done. We can often feel so incredibly embarrassed and ashamed that our little seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, who we thought was so naive to these things, has seen it. And then we feel ashamed by that. And we've got to avoid expressing our guilt and shame and frustration and projecting that in terms of criticising or blaming our child because you risk triggering feelings of shame and guilt for them. And we don't want them feeling guilty or ashamed. They haven't done something which is dirty. They have 
stumbled upon something or they have actively sought it out because they have stumbled on it previously and enjoyed a physical sensation from it and then have actively sought it out. It may be that they've been encouraged to as part of friendships. We don't necessarily know all of the dynamic. So we have to act from that place of compassion and we have to remove the frustration and anger and shame that we have when we talk to our children. So the last thing we want to do is our children to close up and avoid talking to us about these things because this, these are the conversations. This is the real conversations, the important conversations that we need to continue to have with our children because it's such an important part of their own sexual journey as they grow up and what is deemed as normal and what is deemed as not normal so that we can help guide and scaffold. Remember, you know, my analogy about us providing the scaffolding for our children. Well, that scaffolding needs to go up even in situations and aspects of the build that are super uncomfortable, super difficult for ourselves and ones that we would rather avoid having. But if we avoid having those conversations, we only create and sow seeds for destruction and for risks within the build of their home. So one of the things you could start by saying if you're doing, if you're instigating this particular conversations is that you might use something along the lines of I know you might have seen some images which might have made you feel uncomfortable but I want you to know it's okay and I'm not cross with you so it was just setting that scene we're setting that tone we're just laying the groundwork and the foundations for our children so that they don't feel that element of a shame and embarrassment when we begin to have that so we need to let go of our own hang-ups and that also includes What we'll talk about later is when we talk to our children about sex as well and sexual relationships is that we have to take that embarrassment that we feel about having those conversations. And, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be with a partner, that's where you can have those discussions together and play to each of your strengths in terms of how you then present and have those discussions with your children. And of course, it's all about using age appropriate language. Part of what you're going to talk about in terms of pornography with a seven-year-old may well, will be very different to the conversations that you'll have with an 11 or a 13-year-old. So it's just being aware of that, but we've got to part that hang up. And what I would say around that second point of letting go of our own hang-ups is making sure that we sort of ground ourselves first before we have that conversation and just reflect and think, you know, why do I find this particular subject embarrassing? Is it to do with my own belief system around pornography? Is it to do with how I feel about it? Maybe it's specific experiences that you might have had yourself. But we need to ground ourselves and reflect on that first so that when we have the discussion with our children, we can be really objective about it. And whilst you know, pornography might not be something that you consume yourself or have never consumed or that you think is inappropriate, the reality is it is out there in the world and the days are gone. You know, I'm a 50-year-old where the pornographic magazines are on the top shelves um, and they all had covers on them and all these various bits and pieces. Our children don't have that. It's not like they're actively going into a shop to buy it. They are exposed to it constantly. So we need to have that discussion. So the points that we've talked about first is accept, first of all, that they will see it. So we can't avoid the subject. 
The second tip is about letting go of our own hang-ups so we can have that discussion with them. And then my next tip is about discussing normal relationships. So when you first bring up the subject of pornography, you can start by explaining it's likely that they may at some point see images of adults acting in a way that might make them feel frightened or ashamed. But we want to acknowledge that these images might also cause a physical sensation in their body, which feels nice. And that's okay. So we're trying to take the shame and guilt out of this idea of seeing pornographic images and then feeling sexually aroused by it. And the reason why I keep harping back about this idea of shame is the thing with shame is rather than feeling guilty or maybe feeling that in that moment they've done something which they regret, which is always situational. We all have moments where we regret decisions. The difference between regret and shame is regret is very situational. I regret eating that second chocolate bar. I regret saying something unkind to a friend. Those are situational. We regret them in the instant and we move on. Shame is more insidious. And we know that it can cause very permanent and long-lasting impact on our mental health. And shame is rather than seeing it as a regret of a situation, shame becomes part of a character flaw. So eating that second bar of chocolate, we are ashamed because that's part of our personality as somebody who is excessive. Saying something unkind to a friend, that becomes a character flaw of something of making you be someone who is unkind and uncaring. So we need to take this idea of shame out of it because that is the last thing we want for our children is we want to, is that discussion, isn't it, about choices and in those moments, sometimes making a choice that in hindsight they would do differently so it becomes situational rather than this notion of being ashamed because they have seen something which has either been pleasurable for them or has left them feeling frightened. The most important thing that we want to emphasise when we're talking about online pornography is the important thing to emphasise is these images are not real and it's not how adults normally act in happy relationships. And what's key and for you know this is um, for those of you who've basically got older children What is evident in terms of the data is that quite often older children's first sexual encounter is often an enactment of something which they have seen online. So it's really important that our children understand what is part of a normal relationship and what isn't, particularly around this notion of consent. It's something that I've talked about in a previous episode So do go back and listen to that. But consent is about this understanding that in order to have a sexual relationship, in order to get involved in any form of touch or intimacy, it requires both parties to say yes. And the assumption should always be that unless somebody has said categorically, yes, I am happy with what is happening, then we have not actively sought consent so we need to discuss and certainly with older children so children over 11 we need to discuss much more explicitly about the types of imagery that they have seen what the enactment has been about and to discuss 
whether this is part of normal relationships. I know for a lot of you listening to this, you'll be horrified at the idea that you need to be having a conversation with your 11-year-old around sexual consent and around them as individual and their choices around sex. But if you don't have those conversations with them, however uncomfortable it makes you feel and how uncomfortable you feel having the conversation will dictate how uncomfortable your child is. We talk to our children about all sorts of things in very clear, matter of fact, normal ways. But when it comes to sexual consent, when it it comes to their bodies and particularly around pornography, we don't but we need to set that aside. And even if it means you form a little collective group with some other parents and have a discussion, an open and frank discussion with each other about how you're going to have that discussion, create a little community, a tribe, an accountability so that you can get that embarrassment out and you can work through that before you have that conversation with your children. We need to be able to explain to our children how the sex shown in pornography isn't the way sex usually is. You can ask them what they've seen and discuss what is and isn't normal. And if your children feel embarrassed by it, ask them to write things down. We must remember that when we're having these conversations with our children, we may need to have them over a period of days, weeks, months, rather than sitting them down and having an outpouring and expecting a great revelation and these hugely in-depth discussions, it's much better to slightly drip feed. So begin to have seed conversations about things. Say something, have that discussion, but leave it at a certain level. Allow your child to go away and process, particularly for those of you with young children. Well, actually, it's not just young children, it's all children. They need to process that because they may not always tell you immediately what they've seen and what they haven't seen. And they may need a bit of time to sit and reflect on that. Maybe they have seen something and they feel guilty or embarrassed or ashamed by it. And they're not going to say it to you the first time, maybe not even the second, third or fourth time. But it's about seeing it as not that one-off conversation that I'm sure your parents had with you when you were younger about the birds and the bees and it was done and they kind of wiped their brow and went, phew, thank goodness I've had that conversation. I don't need to do it again. This is something we need to be talking about all of the time and allowing our children time and space to consider um, and to process and for us to go back because then we teach them this is a normal part of life. It might not be normal in that we don't want our children to be exposed to it, but it is a normal part of our children's reality and we need to accept that that's part of the reality. One of the findings from the Children's Commissioner study was very much that the children were saying that they wish their parents had talked to them about it, that they felt embarrassed when they first saw it and didn't know who to speak to. And this is coming from children who were advising parents that they need to have conversations with their children younger and younger. So we need to see this as part of our the narrative of our discussions with our children. We need to emphasise the importance of consent and ask our children about any pressures they may feel to send or receive sexual images. It's been in the press, we are aware of the bombardment that our children have, those who have got digital devices, to send nude pictures. And that's part of consent. We need to have that discussion with them about peer pressure. We need to have those discussions about them owning their own bodies and what are the implications and the risks 
So it's better to explain the risks of this objectively, such as that images can easily end up in the wrong hands and that taking pictures without consent is illegal, than us passing judgment, such as you know suggesting that it's morally wrong. I think we're, we need to lose that naivety that our children won't do these things or aren't exposed to these things because it is, it's endemic. And so we need to have those conversations around consent so that our children feel empowered to use their voice to say yes or to say no. And rather than making this sweeping statement that it's morally wrong and they shouldn't be doing it and that's really disgusting and and these sorts of things is that we need to have those conversations and we need to remember that those conversations happen earlier than we think so discussing what's normal and what isn't normal about relationships is super super key because we want to encourage our children around that idea of consent and we also need to role model consent now you might be thinking well How do I role model consent in a sexual form? Well, you probably don't necessarily need to role model consent from a sexual perspective with your partner in front of your children. But it's much more about how do you model consent as in getting consent from your children in terms of touching them. So, you know, one of the sort of discussions that is, you know, for those of you who are listening to this podcast episode as we're coming up to the festive period of Christmas and really important way that we can demonstrate consent for our children and our children having the right to exercise consent over their own bodies is around hugging and kissing relatives. So at the festive period we often get together with families and people we haven't seen for ages and then we insist that our children kiss granny or grandma or grandpa or great auntie Mabel or great uncle Bob whatever it might be are we demonstrating consent? Are we honouring our children's ability to voice a yes or a no. You know, that's where we can demonstrate that. Would you like to give great auntie Mabel a kiss goodbye? Or would you? Yeah. So it's that having that conversation is empowering our children so they can see what consent and a request for consent looks like. And they can see how we then observe that rather than insisting. So uh, That's what we want to try and do is about this notion of discussing what normal relationships are and particularly around this notion of consent. So, so far we've looked at this accepting that our children are likely to see pornography and that's not because we've failed as parents and we've raised children who are sexually deviant in any way, but it's just a reality of the world that our children grow up in. It's a separate discussion as to whether it's right or whether it's wrong. I'm simply looking at it objectively because whether it's morally right or wrong, whether our children are exposed to it is separate because that stops us from acting and supporting our children. So the first thing is we need to accept that they're going to see it. The second thing is that we need to let go of our own hang ups and have that discussion and have that discussion sooner rather than later. And then the third one is about discussing normal relationships. So our children understand that what they see in these sexually explicit images or the requests for nude pics or whatever that might be that they may get from other other their peers is what is normal and what isn't normal and this notion this really important notion of consent and their ability to use their voice to express their wishes and then the last thing is around let's not use baby language when we feel uncomfortable 
it's easy to end up using euphemisms or jokes to make light of a subject, particularly a subject around pornography and sexual consent. But we need to steel ourselves to be as frank and as open as possible, while obviously adapting our language to the age of our child. So we must use anatomically correct language when it comes to describing our children's body parts. So we need to use the word penis. We need to use the word vulva and avoid childlike language like little bits or foo-foo or whatever it is that you may or may not be using. Because let me remind you again, our children only become ashamed of these things because we have become ashamed of them. We talk about so many things when our children are babies. We've all been there. We help our children learn that their eyes and their ears and their nose and their mouth, we label them in that way. How many of us, when we reflect on it, were also pointing out to various aspects of of our children's sexual organs, nipples, vulva, penis, and labeling those? I, for one, can be entirely honest, and I absolutely did not. Not when I was pointing, where are your eyes? Where is your nose? So I'm not necessarily suggesting that we're teaching our two-year-olds as part of that. But we do need to be really explicit and to use anatomically correct language and take the shame and the embarrassment out of it. Now, that doesn't mean that your child who uses anatomically correct language might not be Um, exposed to a little bit of ridicule and a little bit of laughter and a little bit of mockery at school because they label something anatomically correct and maybe their friends haven't had that maybe they haven't listened to the podcast and they're not necessarily using the anatomically correct we have to empower our children by having that conversation with them as well you know some some parents don't necessarily talk about these things and in the past there might have been a little bit of embarrassment about it and so not all children will use those words and it's be, it's helping them it's empowering them to understand and to be compassionate of others so with younger children you we can explain that it's, that sex is something that adults do with other adults and make clear that they can talk to us at any point about any images that they've seen and we might need to do some prompting at first because children won't necessarily open up in terms of long prose about things. So instead, we might need to say things that allow our children to simply give us a yes or a no answer rather than this opening, answering open questions. And however old your child is, don't assume that you can have the talk once and get it over with. Aim to have regular open conversations where you allow your child to ask questions without judgment and that you're having these opportunities of allowing them to process stuff you can have a conversation they can process it and you can come back to it if our children feel they can't talk about it and learn from us then they could be exposed to situations where they could be exploited or their consent is not sought empowering them by using appropriate language around their body parts allows them to ensure that in situations where they are placed in a sexually awkward position they are able to use their voice to say no this is not something that I give consent to. So let me just quickly recap what the four are. So the first is accept that our children are going to see pornography and start having those conversations early. Let go of our hang-ups so that we take that shame and embarrassment away discuss what are normal relationships and don't use baby language. 
So my give this week is a My Body Parts template for both boys and girls. So you can begin to have these honest conversations about their bodies, consent and pornography. So head over to my free resource library, drmaryhand.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download the resource. All you need to do is pop in your email address and get instant access not only to this week's resource, but all the other free resources across all my podcast episodes. As ever, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could follow and just take a few moments to leave a review for this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time. Bye.